Hello and welcome to another episode of the More From Law podcast. I'm your host, Harry Clark. This episode is a first for the podcast as a crossover episode with the Lawyers Coach podcast by Claire Rayson. In this episode, Claire and I discuss notions of success within the world of law, reflecting on any generational differences between each intake into the profession and how our expectations can change as people progress in their legal careers. Let's get into it. Um, thank you very much for joining me today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I'm going to start off with a question that um, I ask all my guests, and I know that you ask all of your guests as well. So um, why did you choose law? I think really at the crux of it, it comes down to um, problem solving, really. I really, I really like problem solving. I think that one of the first times I got to experience what lawyers do, um, other than you know, images of them arguing all the time in court that you, you often see on TV, was a sort of short work work placement I did and it just involved a, a personal injury case where we, someone was trying to claim that they uh, you know there weren't any road markings at where they had, they had the accident as, as, as a result they weren't liable and um, ended up me going onto Google Maps and using Google Street View and sort of recreating what happened um, through that and then also um, kind of correlating that with the legal side of things and putting it together in a, in a, with a solution of, as to what had happened. So I think to me, it's just the, the idea of problem solving and, um, you know, digging down as to what is going on in a, in a given scenario and then giving that feedback as to, as to what to do to a client or party. I just found that really interesting. And you're at the stage of your journey, I know you're just finishing off your, your LPC and about to embark on a training contract. And you do your podcast, More From Law. So I just, I'm just really interested as to why you started that and, and what the thinking was behind it. You know, I started kind of blogging and writing and, and putting myself out there publicly, I guess, about 12 months ago. And um, that really just came about a bit by chance. Uh, it was it was a bit of a kind of uh, a freak of accident how it happened in that I just uh, made a small post on LinkedIn, which was admittedly a platform that I had never used before and was actually looking to delete it from my phone for the purposes of uh, getting some space on it. Um, and it just really resonated with people. And, and I saw that there was a real need for students and other aspiring lawyers who are wanting to break into the profession to um, learn more about the training contract process and what university is like and all that sort of thing. Um, and ultimately, I kind of realized the more that I talk to students that you know, access to career services and you know, insights into law or the ability to talk to lawyers can be a bit of a postcode lottery at times based on um, what your university provides, for example. And, you know, I'd been fortunate enough to be able to speak to lawyers from other jurisdictions and other countries at that time based on my own networking efforts. And I just thought, well, if I can do my best to try and sort of pay this forward and to, and to you know, disseminate this information that I'd learned myself um, and to, you know, at least tell people about the mistakes that I made and all the, all the time that will hopefully save them. Um, then that's what I would do and I think my sort of overarching aim with the podcast uh, and everything else has just been well what would I have really appreciated two years ago you know when I, when I was midway through university for example um, and doing my best to to create that and to provide a really accessible insight into just how big the, the world of law really is. And I guess it's kind of resulted in, um, you know, you having your your own personal brand. You're obviously kind of well known now. How do you feel about that? It's been a bit of a, a surreal experience at times. I still find it really strange when people use my last name, for example, in, in full. Um, but no, it's also been really enjoyable and it's been really enlightening for me. And it's really helped kind of 
um, challenged my perspective about the legal profession and kind of opened it up to more more voices, more backgrounds, more more different types of roles um, and everything else within the profession that I honestly didn't know existed um, beforehand. So I've really gained a lot of value out of it in, in that regard as well. And what's been the most interesting thing that you've learned? Oh, good question. Um, I think I would have to say just the differences between the UK and the US in terms of their the legal education timeline of a lawyer and and how their kind of development process goes through. So I know in the UK, we're starting to experiment a little bit with kind of these um, more innovative modules and teaching styles, trying to emphasize the, the kind of skills development and the fact that, um, you know, lawyers need to be good at their research skills, obviously, but also all those front of house skills and negotiation and interviewing all that stuff as well. Um, and then comparing that to what's going on with the US at the moment with with their bar exam, the fact that in the middle of a pandemic, they're still forcing people to, you know, in some states sit in these you know, really stuffed rooms full of candidates, everyone has to wear suits and do things that way. Just, um, just really fascinates me <laughs> is one way of putting it. And you're just about to, to embark on your legal career in, in a firm. Um, what kind of hopes, expectations do you have going into that? And do you think that those have changed as you've been doing your podcast and, and reaching out and talking to, to people that are kind of further on in their careers? Since I've been talking to lawyers and since I've been um, learning more about the profession and particularly since I've been learning more about the business side of law, so not just, you know, the, the black letter law side of things and the practice areas and whatever, but the actual way that, that firms will innovate and provide their services to clients. Um, I've seen my kind of focus shift more towards the tech side of law and how, you know, law and technology is going to intersect. I guess the expectations, I think you've, you hear all kinds of horror stories, students going into university hear horror stories about that and likewise on the LPC and then onto the training contracts. Um, but from the, the most kind of practical advice, I think I've been told from nearly everyone who's been through the process is to keep an open mind. You know, I'm going on the record and saying all this stuff now about what I do and don't <laughs> like, but, you know, it's very likely I get in there and I'm, I'll find something else that interests me or, or whatever. And also just to just to learn on the job. You know, I think um, it, it makes me laugh sometimes the number of times I speak to associates or um, trainees who are sort of set to qualify and say that you know the LPC or law school whatever it is you've done before is useful to a degree and that will teach you some of those skills like we were just talking about um, but a lot of it is the case of having to get used to how this firm does things and getting used to um, picking up the skills you'll need regardless of what department you're in and how that will change as well so I'm excited but um, yeah I'm also a little nervous as I'm sure you can, <laughs> I'm sure you can imagine. <laughs> and in terms of kind of choosing firms I just want to to ask you a bit about that because I think you know there's there's always a lot written about you know and again it makes me sound sound old but you know kind of your generation and you know how um, millennials don't want to work for a firm whose values don't align with theirs um, and they're looking for a bigger purpose um, how true do you think that is yeah, good question. I'm sure, you know, I'd hesitate to speak as the, the spokesperson for, for Gen Z or anything else, but at least I think in my eyes that some of the things that you, you've identified as also being prevalent um, when you're applying, you know, the, the characteristics of the firm and internationality or anything else and the, the caliber of the work you're doing is obviously still going to be resonant. I think if anything, um, perhaps with younger generation, the fact that we've grown up with technology and we've, we've clearly seen as a result of coronavirus how remote working is at least you know in the short term plausible and, and, and doable and workable for a lot of firms um i think it's a it's going to be a sort of a slight shifting of emphasis on on values i think from what i can tell in my experiences of 
speaking to students and a bunch of surveys I've seen done of, of people sort of my age, there's a greater emphasis and desire on, on this, the, the so-called work-life balance and the ability to, um, you know, work flexibly if need be and be able to sort of have more control over uh, your sort of working commitments and so on. But at the same time, I don't think that that's representative of everyone. And I'm sure that there will be individuals who um, instead are much more emphasis, you know, much more focused on the ability to get a real sort of professional career developed through secondments or the ability to, you know, liaise directly with clients and throw themselves at the deep end and, and everything else. So um, it's been really interesting to, to see everyone's responses with everything that's, that's going on with, with COVID and, and how it's kind of impacting on different generations. And I think the, the, the main thing, you know, I surveyed a lot of students um, when, the, when the pandemic first broke out. And I think the, the main thing is just um, anxiety, if anything, um, and not necessarily just over the job market and the economy and everything else. But obviously, at, at this sort of stage of your life and your career, you're, you're contending with a lot of other things as well. It's, the, it's, it's trying to get on the property ladder or at least finding a place to rent when you're doing everything um, professionally. It's your education and the, the kind of disruptions that we've seen there. Um, and then in addition, the, the, the career prospects of being able to secure and, and develop a career with everything that's, that's going on um, in this market, really. So I think if, if anything, it's, it's people are just wanting to find some sense of security in what they're going to do and, and an ability to, to hopefully prove themselves to, to, to an employer or, or otherwise. And it's interesting, isn't it, around that work flexibility, because it's something I think, you know, that's probably true of all generations that, you know, you want to have that work life balance. And, and actually, when you when you start at a firm, you know, I think, certainly, if I look back at my experience, you end up working, you know, long hours, you know, and you're not in a position really to turn around and say, you know, actually, I want to work flexibly, and I want this work life balance. Do you think Gen Z rather than millennials makes me seem even older? <laughs> but do you think Gen Z are going to be any different? Do you think they're going to say, actually, you know what, I could be doing this remotely? Why are you, why are you making me stay here at one in the morning when I could be doing this? You know, maybe still at one in the morning, but I could be doing it at home. Yeah, I think I think the 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 views will probably still be the same. Their desire to do so. I think the the biggest difference that will will happen this time around, if that conversation happens again post-coronavirus is the fact that the partners and the decision makers and everyone else amongst the firm will have experienced this directly firsthand for themselves um, and have, will have experienced what this remote working is like and yeah I, I fully understand that there's you know a lot of lawyers I've spoken to who are, who are desperate to get back to the office and from when I spoke to them for that you know the vast majority of it is due to the social element of being able to work with colleagues and, and so on and, and I'm being able to do that but I think the fact that partners and everyone else will have experienced this firsthand will hopefully have come as a, a learning experience as to the fact that this is you know a little bit different from the kind of articles and speculations that we might have um, read about but then again I, I'd caveat that by the fact that this is not a usual working from home experience and that I'm I'm sure that there will be many people who have gone through this this period of the last six months or whatever um, turned off from the idea of remote working because it's not really been remote working it's been remote coping with kids and um, you know everything else that they might have going on at their home. I think the other thing that um that your generation will have that you know mine kind of was really only starting off with this make again makes me sound old but the internet was only really you know coming in when I was at university and we certainly didn't have you know social media like you do today or um you know podcasts or any of that stuff so actually you know I've worked in marketing in firms as well as as a lawyer in a firm um, and I think, you know, the generation coming up are going to be a marketing team's dream, but actually probably also a marketing team's nightmare because, you know, with, with everyone um, kind of almost doing their own thing anyway and having their own brand, it's going to be an interesting 
dilemma I think to to work out what you do with that mm. yeah no I'd agree and I think I think the one thing that's always kind of intrigued me I guess about the way that um, firms at least traditionally have been marketing and, and speaking to students is um, you know a lot of young people and students they obviously prefer various social media platforms and obviously TikTok is crazy at the moment and YouTube and the kind of visual element and the idea of building that real personal connection with the person they're speaking to and engaging with is I think I think a really kind of key component of, of what interests them but then if you look at the way that firms will will try to advertise to students it's through you know law fairs and career fairs it's through coming in and giving presentations very akin to lectures for the you know for an hour or two on what their firm does and they just both strike me as quite student unfriendly environments with the fact that they're very nerve-wracking these law fairs like i really i remember my first one and when you're in your first year and you don't know your your you know contracts from your torts and everything else and your trust um seeing all of these international huge firms worth you know millions and millions and billions of pounds rocking up on your campus and saying oh, apply to us apply to us and you know have a career with us it's 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 certainly um an experience and it's certainly quite intimidating and i guess what i'll be really interested to see is going forward like you say how firms will adapt and explore these new avenues that you know this digital age has provided to us and whether you know there's already firms that have started to pull out in, uh, indefinitely from doing um careers fairs and things anyway because they're they're also quite an investment for the firms you know they have to spend money getting people to travel up and potentially stay somewhere overnight if they're doing a tour of universities and go around speaking campuses it all takes them a vast amount of time and if you can get that same level of reach through you know spending two three hours recording and editing a podcast and distributing that to you know thousands of people anyway um i guess it's going to be a shift of priorities in terms of how you allocate your your time your resources i guess claire given the fact you've been in the marketing side of law as well i'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that and whether you think um you know the world of career affairs and and, and in-person lectures and everything else are going to go away and give way to the, these newer medias like i said yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think, you know, I think marketing teams would absolutely love to go down that route because, you know, for a number of reasons you've mentioned already, you know, it's cheaper, it's easier, you get to build a connection. Um, I think my experience is that, you know, if you mentioned TikTok to a lawyer, I think that they, you know, a lawyer of a certain age, they would they would freeze in fear and that would be as intimidating to them as the law firm, you know, the law fairs are to you. Um, so it's interesting and I think actually you know, it's having that voice in the firm and being open to listen to the voices of the people that are coming in is really important. And it's something that I always try to do because actually, you know, it's, it goes back to understanding your audience and, and, you know, the audience for for careers fairs is you. So it's, you know, you're the, you, you and, 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 you know, your, your peers are the people that should, you know, should be the ones that are saying, actually, you know what, it'd be much better if you had one of the partners talking, you know, talking to us through TikTok or talking to us through Instagram or whatever it is, um, because that's much more likely to engage with us. But as I said, I think what, what probably holds people back is that fear of, you know, looking silly or um, not knowing where to start, I think. Success. We've kind of been talking to various guests through this series and and success has been kind of a theme throughout and kind of the conventional idea of success and, and challenging that, I guess. Do you think that, um, you know, for you and, and for people that you're talking to, you know, your, your kind of peers, is success for you still, you know, we want to make partner at a city firm or is that something slightly different now? 
Good, good question. That's, that's an interview style question. That is, I feel like I'm in the interview room again. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, There's no job. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I won't lay out my uh, my criteria for partner yet. But um, no, I think I think I think the message that is often communicated to students at university is, is firstly, it's it's barrister or solicitor. The the emphasis on the vast array of other careers within the world of law and consulting, marketing, business development, all that other stuff is unfortunately underemphasized. And I think you know it's like fifty percent of of students go into a law degree wanting to be barristers and then at the end of it 50% of them aren't even doing legal careers so I think that the, the fact that you know shows like Suits and the media and everything else has a huge influence on how people perceive success and how people perceive <clears throat> legal careers is quite evident um i think personally for me i'm i'm just really i'm looking forward to practice i think and uh, what really interests me is the fact that when you when you go from from trainee to partner level you 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 shift your focus slightly away from actually doing the legal work and the nitty-gritty details down to the commercial side of things and and you know keeping clients happy and winning new clients and business development side of things i think at least in my um admittedly limited exposure to law and uh, everything else that i've been doing I've really enjoyed that aspect. I've really enjoyed the element of commerciality and the business side to law that that firms engage with and the fact that they need to, you know, win new clients and market themselves effectively and all that stuff. So certainly throughout my training contract and beyond, I'm, I'd love to get involved with all that kind of stuff that a, a firm can offer. Um, but I kind of hesitate to, to put a, a, a label or a fixed goal of where I want to be in, you know, say 10 years time, because I think, you know, the, admittedly, if you'd have asked me where I wanted to be, in a year's time, 12 months ago, I, I certainly wouldn't have said doing the stuff I'm doing now, it probably would have been very different. And I think that just goes to show that, um, you know, I think you need to keep your, your ambitions, um, you know, just a, a ahead of you enough to stretch you in terms of your scope and what you're, you're, you're hoping to achieve, but I, I wouldn't keep them too fixed either. Um, and, and I, and instead I think it's much more effective to have a sort of overarching mission statement or values that, that guide you and that interest you. Um, which will lead you towards some kind of end point or goal to work towards rather than the other way around and trying to mold yourself to fit the shape of something um, along the way. Because ultimately, if you, you get there and you don't like it, then you've spent a lot of time um, you know, fixating towards something which, which didn't resonate with you really. So a bit of a half answer there, I'm afraid, but I think, I think that's, that's the best I can do given that you know, I'm sure if we had this conversation in six to 12 months, once I've got my foot in the door and actually started practicing could be a very different thing indeed and um again it goes back to the point of keeping an open mind and and and, and not bolting myself down too much to to what i want to do just yet it's funny because it, it, um, uh, you know because keep making me sound old um ali, ali mcbeal was i guess the suits of of my day and that was i think the thing people see and assume that that's, you know that's what you're walking into um are you going to carry on with with podcasting vlogging is that something that you're kind of going to keep doing oh i hope so i hope so i think one of the reasons i i mean it doesn't actually make a lot of sense what i'm doing if my if you know my, my core audience are, are students and people looking to break into law um and i'm primarily on a lot you know a very student unfriendly platform i guess is one way of saying it which is linkedin i think if i was wanting to be you know having maximum effectiveness in my ability to reach students and convey to them in, in the medium a method that that they would resonate with like we kind of covered earlier it would be something like youtube or tiktok or anything else but the reason i picked the blog and the podcast format was because i think it's something which will mature quite nicely alongside a legal career and i'd already seen a lot of practicing lawyers 
participating in that kind of stuff anyway. Um, and when I got this started, it was with the intention of, of keeping it going throughout my, my trading contracts and beyond and everything else. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to do that. Admittedly, probably not the pace I'm doing now. It might have to drop down to, to once a week or something like that. But I think um, for me, I wanted it to be an, an opportunity to, to document my conversations and experiences, both with other people, and then also my own reflections on what I'd been doing and my own experiences, because you know, there's a lot of information about training contracts that just as a narrow example that doesn't get communicated through to students and, uh, and to people looking to break into the profession. So, you know, the professional skills course, the PSC component that you do with the SRA, admittedly not, you know, a huge step in the process, but there were people in my cohort, you know, like this a month or two before we we're about to start who didn't know what that was. And admittedly, I'd only heard of it in reference. Um, and it's just, it's one of those things that makes me scratch my head and go, okay, well, well, why isn't this being, you know, promoted or marketed or at least distributed to students as information that they would need to know about because it is a component of of what they're going to do or you know how seat selection processes work or what are the differences between all these different commercial or practice areas and um how do they differ between you know transactional versus litigious versus advisory kind of seats and work so all that kind of information which i think is really insightful and useful to students and will certainly inform them in their decision making process um i hope to continue with me through the podcast and the medium of the blog as well to to be able to help people um yeah continue to learn more about the profession and to uh, like i said document the, the the vast array of people which i'm sure i'll come into contact with once i enter the world of practice as well and what's the one thing so they you know might be some um partners listening there might be um, some hr um teams listening what would be the one thing that you would say that they could be doing better to inform students and to try and attract students into their firms I think I think some of the ways that I've seen things just be most effective per se is is not to necessarily go for for methods of what I would call direct marketing i.e trying to espouse you know, our firm is the best because xyz because I you know there's this huge array of firms out there and a lot of times students will feel they might be getting conflicting messages and they might think two firms are incredibly similar and it might be the case in, in reality that they are but when it comes to um them being able to kind of cut through everything they're being being offered and being able to understand what a firm's truly about um it, it can be a little, little bit difficult and i think some of the most effective ways i've seen people engage with firms and what they do and ultimately lead to them applying there is is through what i would just call indirect or that kind of content marketing so actually just telling people what it is you do giving you a real insight you know the experiences of talking to partners or like i said all those other examples earlier of learning about those commercial or practice areas and really getting an insight into what firms do and if, if possible an ability to do it themselves through these sort of virtual experiences that we've seen cropping up and as a result of coronavirus because i think ultimately that will that helps you twofold because it helps your students and people who are going to apply and be more informed and hopefully write better applications and be better lawyers and everything else that would come along with that increased exposure but also it's the fact that when they go for these these you know learning experiences they they know where they got them from and if anything it's it's advantageous to the firms because they can give their own you know highlights and they can sell some of their own usps um as that kind of secondary emphasis to all of that so i think if if, if firms really want to try and connect with people in a way which students will appreciate and also be able to really understand and and you know appreciate and the fact that they'll hopefully apply there um i think it's just simply provide information in a way which is accessible digestible understandable um and one then thing just helps give some information provision and insight into into what firms do that message probably is also true of, of firms and how they communicate with their clients because um you know, the communication might be done in a slightly different way but i think it echoes there of 
you know, things that, you know, I hear from clients around, you know, knowing, knowing how to separate one firm from another. Thanks so much for listening to another instalment of the More From Law podcast. If you want to keep up to date with the show and make sure you never miss an episode, be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice and sign up to my newsletter over at www.harryclarklaw.com. You can also follow me on most social media channels at the handle Harry Clark Law. If you enjoyed the show, please give it a rating and a review on the iTunes store as this helps others learn about the show and be sure to share it with your networks. You can also support the show by donating to my Patreon, which helps support the running and production costs of the show. For now though, I'll see you in the next episode of More From Law.